you ever watch like a preview for a movie and when you watch it, it tells you what happens at the end and it sort of ruins the movie for you? <laughs> that just happened. I was, I was planning on hitting you guys with law, making you feel, seeing that you're all sinners and then hitting you with Jesus. I'm just kidding. No, but, um, <laughs> well, today we're going to be speaking about the Ten Commandments. You know, just like the video was saying that there is a, pl- there is a, a place where the Ten Commandments is letting us know that we are sinners, that we are in need of, of a Savior. So I, I cannot help but think of Good Friday. And when I think of Good Friday, we know that Good Friday is the day that Jesus died for our sins. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard day. We think about uh, all the suffering, all the blood, and everything that he did for us. But I can't help that when I'm thinking about Good Friday, I'm already thinking about Sunday and the resurrection at the end of it. So we can, do, we can look at the law and we can look at, at our sinfulness and still know that there is salvation through Jesus, right? So I'm going to read the 10. The, it's going to be Exodus 20. Verse 1 to 17, and then we'll pray. All right, so Exodus 20, starting from verse 1, says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them and serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall you shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain, for the Lord will the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do and do all your work but on the seventh day is a sabbath to the lord your god uh, on it you shall do you shall not do any work you or your son or your daughter your male your male servant your female servant your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates for in six days the lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day therefore the lord blessed the sabbath day and made it holy Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or, your, or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So, Lord, we, we come before you to... Um, First of all, thank you for, for who you are and all you've done for us, Lord. We know that you desire to reveal yourself to us, reveal your heart to us, Lord. I pray that our minds may be open to, to know you. Reveal yourself to us, like I said before, Lord. We want to know you. We want to understand your ways. Our greatest desire as your people is to do your will, Lord. I pray that your word may bring conviction to any heart that needs conviction. Let it bring peace to any heart that needs peace. Let it bring instruction to all of our hearts, Lord, and that we may walk out of here knowing you better and looking a little bit more like you, Lord. And we ask you this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, guys, so we've been in Exodus for a couple of weeks, so I know that most of us know the story. We know that Israel, what, 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 uh, the Israelites were slaves for 400 years. They were in a place where they were suffering. They uh, had lost hope. They thought they were going to be in this place forever. 
But then God had called out to Moses from a burning bush and said, I'm going to raise you up to, call, to, to lead my people out of where they are. You're going to talk to Pharaoh. You're going to say, let my people go so that my people can come and worship me. And Moses was struggling with this. We know that he gave a lot of excuses, but we know that at the end of the day, it's God that's going to do it, not Moses. But he was going to use Moses. So God, in this conversation, he spoke to, to Moses and he said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. And he said, I will send you to Pharaoh so that my, to bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And it's interesting that he's calling them his people. They have not done anything to deserve, to deserve this. He is saying they are my people. And he was remembering the covenant that he had made with Abraham. We, we know that, that God told Abraham that he was going to be the father of many nations. He was going to give him land. He was going to give him a bunch of descendants. And he was going to say that the whole world was going to be blessed through Abraham's people. So when I say that God remembered the covenant, I'm not saying that he forgot it. But it's just saying that he was in his perfect plan. This was the time for him to lead his people out of, out of slavery. He had actually taken them then to save them because they were going to die from a famine that was in the land. So God used Moses to lead them out. He showed them his power. He showed them uh, that he was their savior, that he was their deliverer. He showed them that he was righteous. He showed them that he was gracious because he was doing all these things without them deser deserving it. So... God was, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but God was showing them who they are. And, he, and, he, uh, and, and when, he, when he started uh, going into the Ten Commandments, he, he had already established that we're his people before he gave them these laws. He wasn't saying, hey, um, you, know, you're, you know, this is the, you know, he did establish and he did expect them to follow them. But he was already established them as their people. Before he was establishing laws, he was establishing that relationship that he had with them. And all of this that we're saying about God establishing them as people, this is, this is different than what our natural thought is about, about the Ten Commandments. When we look at the Ten Commandments, most people think these are the laws that I need to follow in order for me to go to heaven. If you ask anybody in the street, most people say that. What are the Ten Commandments? Well, I have to follow these laws in order to go to heaven. And this, is, uh, this thinking is a, a religious thinking. God is not necessarily wanting us to just follow laws. And following laws does not make us become God's people his laws because we are his people but but uh, the natural thinking of needing of feeling the need to to have to deserve or earn our salvation it causes us to think that as long as my good outweighs my bad then me and god are cool or it causes us to feel like i need to follow these rules in order to reach up to this god i have to be good enough as long as I'm good enough and I get better, then God will love me. But God is saying, I love my people before they had followed any rules. So there's a big difference there. There's a big difference there. And I have to say, it's not saying that God doesn't want us to follow his rules. But I'm just saying that he loves us. It's like my children. My children are my children. I give them rules, but I, I, I didn't say, let me wait till they're able to follow rules, and then I'll accept them as my children. No, they are my children, and because they are my children, then I want to give them rules. I want to show them who I am. I want to show them what I value. I want to show them what's important to me. I want to show them how life works best. And this is what God was doing with us. He wanted to, 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 to show us who he was. God is the creator of the heaven and earth, right? So this God that created all the planets and all the stars and just thinking about our solar system, it works perfectly, right? This same God is the same one that created our bodies. A million things are going on in your body right now that you're totally unaware of. 
and God holds your body together. He holds the, the, all the planets together. He's doing all this. And if he created all these things, then wouldn't we think that he's the one that understands the way that life works best? Right? If I, look, if I look at my cell phone, a lot of us, who has ever taken the time to read the manual for their cell phone? None of us, right? You know what? Oh, all right, Bill, I'm proud of you. You probably, ha- you probably get the most used out of your phone than all of us here. And I'm sure your phone's going to last longer than mine. So what happens is that we, we get something and we try to start using it. And, you know, you know we, we have some wisdom that we've, that we've you know, uh, throughout the years of using things. We, we want to use our, our, our wisdom to, to try to figure out how to do things. And thank God for all these um, pop-ups that we get from Apple teaching us how to use our, our, our iPhone. But um, anyway, we, we, sometimes we misuse it. Or we, I, I know recently I found out um, we, we were having problems with our phones. We went to the Apple store. And they said, don't charge your phone if it's just for like five minutes. If you're going to charge it, you, if you want to get the best use of your battery, you have to charge it for a long time. And then I read, oh, you need to let your phone actually go down to, to zero and then ha- charge it once completely, once a month. You know, right now, um, the battery that I have, it lasts, if I would not charge it, it would probably last about 10 minutes. So I didn't know this, so I misused and I abused what I had because I didn't understand it. And I didn't go to the maker of it to teach me how to use it and to get the full use of it. And that's what happens with us and God. We think that we understand the way God works, the, the way that life works best, but we don't because we don't go to the one that created in order to, for him to tell us what it's all about. So going back to the idea that we are God's children, we don't become God's children by, by, doing, by following the laws. Andy Stanley said that the Ten Commandments were not given as a condition of relationship. The Ten Commandments were given as confirmation of a relationship. They were not given as a condition of God's love, approval, and acceptance. They were given as evidence of God's love, approval, and acceptance. The same way I say with my, my children, I love them, and that's why I teach them how to live. Um, we, the, we see the Ten Commandments sometimes as just rules, but that, that's not really what they are. They're more teaching and instruction. They are in the form, form of, hey, do this and don't do this. But if you have children, that's the way that you teach children. You think about it, the Israelites were slaves for 400 years. They had developed their own style of life, their own values, their own way of living. So now God is pulling them out and saying, I need to teach you who I am so that you can know who you are. Because that's who they were. They weren't the way they were living. They were really were God's people. So he's saying, I'm teaching you who I am and I'm going to teach you who you are, who you really are. But society, even today, frowns upon rules. We don't want to be told what to do. We don't want to be told who we are. Everybody, it's just a rebellious culture, especially here in the United States. And it's part of our sinfulness. It's our, it's our sinful nature to want to rebel. We don't want accountability. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. And I know for me, that was, uh, that was, that was, that was who I was before Christ. So I, I laugh sometimes when I think about the decisions I made just to not be told what to do. And they weren't smart, some of them. Um, Ted Turner said, we're living with outmoded rules. And the word outmoded means no longer wanted. The rules we're living under the, ten, the rules we're living under are the Ten Commandments. And I bet nobody here even pays much attention to them because they are old. When Moses went up on the mountain, there were no nu- nuclear weapons. There was no poverty. Today, the Ten Commandments wouldn't go over. Nobody around likes to be commanded. Commandments are out. Yes, 
He's right in saying that nobody wants to be commanded. This is just our way of being because we are sinners. But Isaiah 520 says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who, who put bitter for sweet and, and sweet for bitter. So he, uh, a lot of people are saying, oh, well, you know, life has changed. Things have changed in the society. So we don't have to follow these same rules. But God is the one that established all these things. God is truth. God is our number one source of truth. So all truth comes from God. So does God change? So he doesn't. So, who, so we get our truth from God. So even if society changes, God is still the same. And um, we live in uh, uh, the culture is, uh, is run by something called uh, uh, moral relativism. It's saying, hey, whatever's true for you is true for you. Whatever's true for me. It's true for me, and whatever's true for her is true for her. So we are all, everything is true. It doesn't matter. There's not one truth. Everything is true. With, I mean, logically, it doesn't even make sense. I mean, if, if, this, if, I'm, if I'm five foot eight, I'm either five foot eight or I'm not five foot eight, right? So if you're talking to somebody about beliefs, either one of you is wrong or you're both wrong. But there's no way that you're both right. Truth is truth regardless. And this is totally, what I'm saying is totally against what society says. I remember my first experience with this. I was, I was actually on, on an airplane flying to Dallas in 2001. It was right after September 11th. And I was speaking to a, a young college student, and we were talking about, um, you know, everything that happened September 11th. And she said, she started talking about George Bush, that she doesn't like George Bush. And I was like, oh, why don't you like him? She's like, I don't like him because he said that what the, the terrorists did was evil. I'm like, all right, so killing 2,000 people is not evil? Well, who is he to say that what they did was evil? And I'm like, I'm like, so if I just want to take this pen and stick it in your throat, we're good, you know? <laughs> and I'm just, you know, it makes no sense to me, you know? But it's, you know, it's, it's part of the culture, what we're teaching people. It doesn't matter. Hey, what you do, it's good, you know, as long as you believe in it, you know? But, it, I mean, people say that, but they really don't mean that. Because if we don't believe in God that establishes truth, then nothing is true, and we have no morality. We have no rules to base life by. But one thing that's interesting, if you go to every society in the world, there are certain laws that even if they had no communication with, it was always wrong to take somebody else's chickens. You know what I mean? It was always wrong to take somebody else's wife. It was always wrong to kill somebody. So God has made us with these rules inside of this understanding. Right? We were made in God's image and understanding who he is. So anytime that we go against those things, we are going against what's natural to us as, as people that are made in God's image. And uh, another thing you hear is like, oh, just follow your heart. Whatever you feel like doing, whatever's good to you, just follow your heart. Jeremiah 7, 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know, the Bible says that, uh, that uh, man's ways are right in his own eyes, but they lead to destruction. Society says that whatever you think is true is true, but we know that that's not true, right? So they teach there's no absolutes. God's truth is absolute. So, and when we talk about, and I'm going to be using the word law and the Ten Commandments. Uh, they mentioned in the video there were more than ten commands. There were, there were actually 613 so when I say that, you know, we're talking about this, the same thing here. The Ten Commandments were, were I guess, uh, the, the basic ones, even though there was more laws. But um, so we think about it. So if our heart shouldn't be well, rejecting God and what's natural to our sinful state, then what should our heart be? 
Psalm 1-1 says, blessed is the man. And, I, and the only time I say blessed is when I'm reading the Bible. If I read that any other time, I say blessed. But for some reason, when I read the Bible, I have to say blessed. So blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And I love these verses. Psalm 19.7. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than the honey and dripping from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Look at these words used to describe the law and also his attitude. Perfect. Rejoicing the heart. The laws of the commands of the Lord are pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. The rules are true and righteous and keeping them there is great reward. Every time there seems to be something going on in the house that we've never addressed, I'm like, okay, Michaela, Mariah, come here. And they know, all right, I'm going to give you guys a new rule. There is never that. They're like, yes, come on, come on, daddy, give me another one. And I, I read this and I'm like, this, this, they, I mean, I look at David's heart like, this is awesome. We're not even talking about grace here. We're talking about the law. And he is so excited about it, you know. So I think that's awesome. So one thing that we see, one of the reasons why David's like that is because when the Jews saw this, they didn't see this necessarily as rules. As rules, They saw this as teaching and instruction. This God just delivered them out of slavery for 400 years, and they were grumbling a little bit, and they were saying, we have no meat and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, they're like, this guy delivered us. I want to know who this God is. And I want to know his ways so that I can live them. Let that be the same attitude that we have. So anyway, just uh, a couple of reasons that I might have mentioned before. I'm going to mention them again. Why God has given us the Ten Commandments. One of the reasons, like I said before, he wants to teach us how life works best. He wants to teach us. There's joy in living God's ways. And, and unfortunately, we... We, we tend to think that we know better than God, you know, and I keep on talking about my kids, but I, I look at my kids and sometimes I tell them something and they want to do things in a different way. And I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I, I'm, I'm 40 years old. I have more experience than them. I have more wisdom than them. I know more than them. I know I, I've gained experiences through good things and bad things, through, through success and failures. The perfect God knows how life works best. And that's it. Right. So uh, he also wants to protect us. When I make rules for my daughters, I'm not only protecting them from the outside, I'm protecting them from the inside, protecting them from themselves, the mistakes that they're going to make. When we live according to, to God's ways, there is joy there because life is a gift. And God only can tell us how this lift, how, how this gift. Did I say God is, life is a lift? Um, anyway, life is a gift. So God, only God can tell us how this gift works best. Another thing, like I said before, is that God wanted to reveal himself to them. He wanted to show them who he was. He wanted to show them what he values. 
And what we value is seen by what we teach. And I'm not saying one is bad or another, but there might be one family that maybe they're playing board games and it's 8.30. like, oh, 8.30, put the board games away. We're going to bed. And there might be another family that say, it's 8.30, we're almost finished. Let's wait 15 minutes. You know? One family might value, hey, we want, we want to be structured, we want discipline, and we want as much rest as possible. The other family might value, hey, you know what? We, we're going to make the sacrifice of a little bit of rest for some good family time. Like I said, I'm not saying one is bad or the other, but we see what we value by the rules that we establish. You know, let's say one family might say, hey, one juice, one juice a day. And another family might say, hey, you know what? Just um, you can go in the fridge and take it on your own. You know, you know what I'm saying? So we value different things. So the same way that we know what other, by the rules that we have in the house, we see what we value. In the same way, we see what God values and we see who he is through his rules. God wanted to reveal himself to Israel, and he, would, and he did that through his commandments. And a third, way that, a third, thing that God, a third reason why God wanted to establish the Ten Commandments, and this is where we're going to park here and roll down the windows and sit here for a little while, is that he wanted to teach us how to love him and how to love other people. Matthew twenty-two thirty-five says, And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. So we see this, that Jesus is teaching that love is the foundation of the law. Love is the foundation of the law. Jesus summed up all the law in these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Augustine said that, the, that, that Jesus basically summed it up with this. Love God and do as you please. What does that mean? That if we love God truly, the way that the Bible teaches us to love God, then everything we do is, is what pleases him. To love God is to follow his ways and to live out his commandments. Even Jesus said, if you love me, you follow my commandments. So if we don't follow his commandments, then there's a problem with our love for God. That's just reality right there. So, like I said, the first part is about loving God. The first four commandments teach us how to love God. The next six teach us how to love others. So, starting from uh, verse 2, and we're going to go back into this uh, in Exodus 20. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And God, again, is reminding him, hey, you saw what I did? You see my power? You see all this? I am God. I am your God. I'm the one that has continued this covenant for all this time. And maybe you forgot about me, but I am your God. So he was telling them that. And starting from verse 3 is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And one thing that he was saying here is basically that there is only one God and he is it. Which was totally crazy for the society. And even for the next 1500 years, all societies had multiple gods. 
The Jews were the only ones that had one God. And everybody looked at them like, ah, you're weak. You only have one God. We have 500. You know, they had, um, they had gods for different things. One God for agriculture. One God for sickness. One God for this. God was saying, I am your Walmart of gods. Your one-stop shop. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, we don't, need, we, don't, we don't need all these other gods. We have the one God, the one true God, because all of the other gods are false. There is no other God. There's only one God. So he was saying, I am the God. And not only, not only am I the God, I am your God. I am your God. So he said, you should have no other gods before me. And the truth is that we all worship something. All, there's a throne that's on, our, on every one, single one of our hearts. And there's something sitting on there all the time. And sometimes we change it. Sometimes we move it. Sometimes we take things down and put something else there. But there's always something there sitting there. And um, Alan Redpath said, our God is the person or thing that we think most precious, for whom we make the greatest sacrifice, and who moves our hearts with the warmth of love. He or it is the person who, if we lost him, would leave us desolate. Think about that. The thing that we would make the most sacrifice, the thing that we find most precious, the thing that we think about the most is what we worship. And right away, when we think about worshiping other things, and I'm moving into idolatry a little bit, we we think about we think about something bad most of the time. How about something good? You know, we all we all have something in our life that we struggle to keep God on that throne because this thing starts to creep up. And it's not always something bad. Maybe it's our families even. It's not bad to love our families, but everything needs to be in its right order. And everything falls in its right order when God is the one sitting on the throne. You know, maybe it's our jobs. Maybe it's security. Maybe it's comfort. All these things can become idols because the truth is that we all worship something. And that's something we need to take a look at. And if that thing is removed from us, then who are we? We find our identity in what we worship. In Psalm 135, it says, those who trust in them become like them. So if we, be, if we worship God, then we become like God. Not saying that we're gods, but we are molded into his image. We bear his, his, his name in a greater way, and we are transformed to become more and more like Christ when we worship God. So just think about that. We find our, our identity in what we worship. So if that thing is removed, think about it. If there's, what is it that if that is removed from your life, you are totally destroyed? If it's God, that's great. But it's, if it's other things, then I believe that God is going to work on putting his finger on those things. And he's going to knock them down. Because God will not share his glory with any other thing. And if we belong to him truly, he's going to work on that. It might hurt, but just trust me, it's a good thing. God is going to work. So we see through this that God values worship. He's a jealous God, and he's the only person or God that can be like that. Jealousy is a sin for all of us, but because he's ultimately he's God, he has the right to be jealous. He, want, he will not share his glory with anything else. So God values worship. And like I said, ask yourself, what is the thing in my life that if it was removed from me, I would totally fall apart? And one thing in a sense, we can, this is the beginning of everything. If we, if we don't worship the one God, then nothing else we do matters. Everything, this is the foundation. This one thing is the foundation of everything that we're going to be speaking about. 
Commandment number two says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water below. God hates idolatry, idol worship. Well, like I was saying before, that there needs to, there's always something sitting on your heart. So when you remove God from there, something else is going to pop itself and be there. That is your idol. And I, and I spoke a little bit about it before when we were talking about, uh, just, just right now, we were talking about what is the thing that if it was removed from you, you would be destroyed. That is the idol in your life. That's the, that's the, the thing that, that, that takes the place of God. And also, if you think about it, this is, this, is, this is weird. When God was giving the Ten Commandments, you know what the people of Israel were doing? They were worshiping a golden calf. And this is what I found interesting. They wanted to worship God through that golden calf. It wasn't like they were saying, oh, I'm just going to worship. Forget about God. I'm going to worship this golden calf. So another thing we have to look at is that we can only worship God according to who he is. We can't make up our own way of worshiping God. We can only worship God through spirit and truth. And what happens with us is that we, most people, you know, let's say in the United States, they believe in God. But they don't believe the God in the Bible. What they do is they pick and choose. They're like, I agree with this, I agree with this, but I don't agree with this. So, oh, why don't you agree with that? Oh, because that's the way I live. Basically, they don't say that, but that's basically what it is. So, you know, if I were to form my own God, he would probably have a big beard, (laughs) glasses, be funny as heck. No, I'm playing. I'm playing. No, but, you know, so the thing is, you know why I say that? Because our gods tend to look like who? us we create and we craft we might not you know in our day we might not make stick figures and bow down to them but what we do is we craft a god in our mind and we say this is god and then we serve him because we're so happy to serve him because he's just like us you know what i mean but then he's not really god god determines who he is we cannot worship him i mean let's say you know I, when I teach about worship, I used to give this example in New York. Lori hasn't heard in a while. But let's say I say, Lori, I love you. I am going to give you a jar of roaches. <laughs> Do you think that she'll be pleased with that? No. I could only love her according to her terms. God could only be worshipped according to his terms and according to who he is. So God values worship. And we cannot create our own perception of who God is. But most people we talk to in this country, that's what it is. They have their own way of looking at stuff. Oh, well, this is how I feel about it. You know what? It doesn't matter what you feel about it. Like some people say, do you believe that? I'm like, well, what does the Bible say? Because the Bible is where we get ultimate truth when God reveals himself through his word. So it really doesn't matter what I believe. It all goes back to what the word of God says. He's the one that shows us who he is. So from these two commandments, the proper worship, we know that God values worship. God values for us to worship him in spirit and truth. So everything else, again, we're building up. This is layer two of the foundation. So um, commandment number three says, you shall not take the name of the Lord God, your God in vain. We are to respect and have reverence for God. We were created in his image and we bear his name. And also the word vain means for unreality. In other words, when we use the word of the name of God, we're not meaning it. When I was in high school, I was taking a, a class called Bible and Literature, and it was a Jewish uh, teacher. And he would write the name of God. He would put G-D. And the Jews, they have so much reverence for the name of God that they won't even write it. 
And I'm not saying that we have to go to that extreme. But think about the way that you use it. Think about the way that you use the name of God. We just use it. We just say it. We're not even thinking about it when we say God, you know. So a lot of times, you know, let's not use his name when we're, you know, I mean, we shouldn't curse anyway. But let's not use him to curse, you know, for bad language. Let's not use his name to make promises. And let's not use his name unless we really mean it. God values his name and God values respect. And I'll be honest with you, I never thought about this until I was preparing for this. And I was like, well, so if the name of God has that much weight and we shouldn't use it in an unreality way, then how about the way that we use it? When do we use God's name? We use God's name in prayer. We use God's name to proclaim truth. We use God's name to praise and worship him. So if his name is that important, then how much more powerful is it when we pray in the name of Jesus? How powerful is it when we praise his holy name? And how powerful is it when we use his name to teach who he is and to proclaim the gospel? If his weight, his name is that powerful to not use it, then when we use it, we have to recognize how special and how powerful it is. So that's one thing that, that's awesome about God's name, turning it and learning from it. Not only saying what we shouldn't do, but hey, let's look at what we should do also. Uh, the fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The Sabbath originated in creation. God made creation in six days, and on the sixth day, he looked back and he said, I did a good job, didn't I? We did a good job, didn't we? You know, he was looking at his creation. He was enjoying it. God didn't need to rest, but he was teaching us something. He was teaching us a principle that we need to rest. We have to take time to enjoy even the fruit of our own labor. Looking at the fruit of God's creation and seeing that and taking time to set it apart to rest in him. Now, um, when Jesus came, he said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, the, the, the priests in, in, the, in the tabernacle, they worked so hard in order for them to be cleansed and for the people to be cleansed of their sin. Jesus has come, and now we can rest in what he did for us. We don't have to work towards it, but we can rest in him and what he did for us. So God values rest. We can rest in Christ's finished work on the cross. We can rest in enjoying life that he's given us, enjoying our families, enjoying the fruit of our labor. And we can uh, rest in enjoying life the way that God intended it to be. So God values rest. And we worship God by valuing rest. So he is, like I said, he teaches us how to worship him. So I, I know that for me, this is one of the, the commands of God that I tend to ignore sometimes. So that's something that I need to work. I need to worship God by resting in him. And um, so the first four were about how to love God and the next four were about how to love others. So we know that God's law is the blueprint for life, is the blueprint for joyful living, is the blueprint for satisfaction because we can only be satisfied in Christ. So we've learned how to love God. And a lot of times we live out the way that we love God by loving other people. Commandment number five says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God, your God, has given you. God values families. And it's interesting that this is the first one when it comes to the commandments about loving other people is the family. Um, our family is the, is, the, is, is, the, is the foundation to who we are. In our families, we, we learn about different things. It, it determines sometimes our success in certain things, how successful we might be in our education, in our finances, in the type of relationships we have. 
even how successful we are at obeying laws or how successful we are in our relationship with God. This is, and, and also it, it's, we learn from our families how to handle stress and, how, and it might also determine the type of sin that we struggle with depending on our families because that's what happened. And I'm not saying, hey, you know, you have a great family, you know, a child's going to get up and is going to make their own decisions, but this has a huge influence on it. So we want our families to be a place where we can influence them toward Christ. And who is the one that does the influencing? The parents. The children most of the time are not teaching their kids about God. It's the parents teaching their, their children, giving them a legacy, giving them something to understand and to know who God is. And also the thing is that the reality is this. I had great parents, and I learned a lot of good things from them, but their sin and their imperfections are some of the things that also broke me. That's just reality. We are broken people, and we're going to affect our children, hopefully more positive, but there are going to be some things that, they, that we're going to affect them negatively. I tell my daughters, I say, look, look at the things that mom and dad do great, and I want you to learn and do the same thing. Then I want you to look at the things that we don't do great and do better than us. You know what I'm saying? In our families, we, we, we learn uh, uh, who God is. We learn how life works. And the thing is that we might have made mistakes in our household, but it's never too late. Even if our children are adults, it's never too late. We can still change and, 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 and let God be the one that leads us as we lead our families. And even for me as an adult, I need to honor my parents, even though I'm an adult. You know, they're still here. So I also see that sometimes adults start getting to the place that they, you know, they start disrespecting their parents just because they're older. You know, God told us to honor our father and mother. He didn't say just while we were living in their household. So uh, God values family. The next commandment is uh, you shall not murder. And murder is taking the taking of another life, another human life for no justifiable reason. We know that God values life. When it comes to murder, uh, Jesus said this in, in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. He's, in Matthew 5, he said, you, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you should not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable for judge, judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you full we are liable to the to the hell of fire. So when he's uh, Jesus is, is saying, yeah, I'm talking about murder. But Jesus went a little deeper than the commands. He said, what is the root of murder? The root of murder is anger. So he was talking about the sin that causes the action. When you murder someone, it's because you're angry at them. You know, besides, you know, weird cases where something happens in the middle of nowhere. Anyway. But, you know, it's usually when you're murdered, when you're planning, when you're justified, when you're, when, you're, when you're taking someone's life, it's your plan. You're angry at them, and you're not forgiving them at them. So the issue is not necessarily the murder, the action. The issue is the anger behind it. So how many people have ever been angry at somebody, right? And this is a reality. A lot of times we are, it, we are angry because someone did something to us, and they hurt us. Now, the thing is that if someone did something to us and hurt us, if we don't forgive them, they continue to hurt us, and they continue to, 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 to take control of our lives. Bitterness is one of the things that causes uh, even heart disease and a lot of sicknesses in our lives. Forgiveness is the way that God made life to work. So as we, as we hold uh, grudges and stuff, it, these are the things that destroy us inside. That's not the way that God made us to be. So it's better for us to release 
those people of those things. And the greatest thing is that God wants to help us to do that. God wants to heal us. It's not something that we do on our own sometimes. And it's not saying that what they did, that that's fine. You know, don't worry about it. No. But God has a better way. And that's for us to forgive. To let go and, to, and, and, and let go of, of anger. The word hate is not just an emotion. The word hate means to habitually despise someone. And that doesn't happen for, for, for no reason. Like I said, most of the time that we hate someone is because they did something to us that really hurt us. But God said that there's a better way. And, and do we trust God that it's better to forgive than to hold on to, to, to grudges? Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Let those things be put away from you. Verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. So how is it that we overcome these things? Start to be kind towards the person. Start to, to pray for the person. Start to love that person. Even, past, even, even getting past what they have done. And a lot of, like I said, God wants to help us to do that. Uh, God values life. Society doesn't. Every 13 seconds, someone in the United States is either beaten, stabbed, shot, robbed, raped, or killed. And this happened twice just while I was reading that list. You know what I mean? That's just the reality of the society we live in. Every 12 seconds, an abortion occurs in the United States. 22% of pregnancies in the United States are aborted. 22%. 50 million babies have been killed in their womb since the 70s when abortion was made legal. We do not value life. And I'm not talking about politics here. I don't care about that. I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about life. I'm not talking about politics here. This is, a re- this is a reality that we have gone so far away from what God has, has called life to be. We all matter. Life matters. So think about, is there anyone in your life that you're having trouble forgiving? And, and, and I think sometimes uh, we hide those things. So I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that needs to forgive anyone, I pray that your spirit may today just take time to... Uh, to put a finger on that and reveal that to them and show them uh, that you can give them peace in the situation. Empower us for forgiveness. And uh, the seventh commandment is you should not commit adultery. Right? We all know this. All right. Don't commit adultery. But what did Jesus say about adultery? Matthew 5.27 says, You have heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in her heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Jesus is saying, yes, we're talking about adultery as the, as the, as the, the action, but what is the root of adultery? The root of adultery is lust. Life works better when we live in sexual purity. This is totally contrary to the, what the, word wa- the world wants to teach us. The world wants to, wants to teach us totally opposite. You know, we live in a world where, where we're bombarded with images no matter where we go. Even if we're careful, even if we make good decisions, whether, you know, they, u- they use uh, sexuality to, to sell cars, to sell video games, 
to sell everything. We are, we, are, we are constantly attacked. Our purity is constantly attacked in this world. And then we're even taught that it's okay. And, you know, and, and, and we're taught, oh, well, you're a man. You have needs. No, God determines how life works best. God determines. And what's the beauty of it is that God can empower us in the midst of a perverse generation. He can empower us to live pure. He can empower us to live pure. So God uh, values purity and he values faithfulness. Uh, Sex is given as, as, a, as a gift for marriage and marriage alone. That's the way that life works best. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee from sexual morality. Like I said, God can give us the, pow- can give us the power to overcome these things. And the thing is, another, uh, another thing we need to look at is that God is very gracious to us. There is forgiveness through Christ. There is forgiveness through Christ. But also, if you think about it, what were the words that he was saying about plucking the eye out? You know, I'm not saying everybody needs to walk around with eye patches next week. But I'm just saying that the truth is that God ex- expects us to do something about it and to be radical in what we do about it. To be radical in what we do about it. God is gracious. Amen. All right, next one. I'll go a little faster. Sorry, guys. You shall not steal. God honors fairness and respect. God, in this world, we're taught, man, look out for number one. Do what you got to do to get what you want. And sometimes it's at the cost of other people. That's not God's ways of living. God values honor. He values fairness and he values respect. And the ninth commandment says, you should not bear false witness against your neighbor. Our society teaches that there are no absolute truths and truth. And this causes a society that tends to lie about everything. 91% of Americans admit lying regularly, and one of five say they can't make it throughout a day without lying. We are all lying, and lying is different ways. We lie by exaggerating. We lie by making excuses. We lie by gossiping and slandering. You know, that's basically saying something about someone behind their back that you wouldn't say to their face. We also lie by flattery. That's saying something to somebody's face that you wouldn't say about them behind their back. You know, we, we, we lie in different ways. We strategically leave out information so that we can mislead people and we, and, uh, and we want to manipulate them and deceive them just to get our way. Lying is selfish. So God values truth. The last commandment is you should not covet your neighbor's house, wife, servants, ox, donkey, or anything that your neighbor has. The word coveting is, is eagerly designed that which belongs to another. And it's to set and, and to set the, the heart on it. Like I said, society teaches that we want stuff, whether we even in music videos, it's portrayed all these things that we need to have in order for us to be happy. And what happens is that people live dissatisfied lives, especially during the Christmas season. We have all these commercials. It makes people be discontent with, with, with their life. And when we become discontent, we start sometimes to blame God. God, why didn't you give me that? Why does he have this and I don't have this? Why does, she have a, why does she have a boyfriend? I don't have a boyfriend. Why does she have a child? And I don't have a child. We start to, to covet um, what other people have when God wants us to be content with what he's given us. If God is perfect in all his ways, he knows the way life works best. He knows the way my life works best, whether I understand it or not. 
and he's given me what he needs to give me. He is all wise, he is good, and he loves me, so I need to be able to be content with what I have. So we see from these that God values worship. God values respect and, and his name. God values rest and peace. God values life. God values purity and faithfulness. God values honor. God values truth. And God values contentment and trust. When we are content with what God has given us, we are trusting him with our lives. So God wants to reveal himself to us. He also wants to reveal to us his holiness and who he is. And also his demand for our holiness. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your, hope, set, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God empowers us for holy living. God wants to strengthen us for holy living. And when we hear the Ten Commandments, we can respond in different ways. One way we can respond and say, you know what? I can't do that. It doesn't even matter anymore. That's nothing. Vance Havner says, you cannot break the laws of God. You break yourself against them. You jump off of a skyscraper and you do not break the law of gravitation. You break your neck but not the law of gravitation. So whether we want to recognize God's law or not and say we want to live it, it is true, and we're the ones that are going to suffer by not, by not submitting to it. Another way that we can uh, respond is by be just getting depressed about it and feeling that we ha- we're, we're doomed. But like I've been saying, there's grace for us. Another way that we respond is we say, you know, yeah, I'm good. I got that. Yep, check off. Uh, yeah, I, I don't murder anybody. I'm not an adulterer. And we think that we're good enough. But the, the problem is the Bible says that none of us are righteous. None of us are good enough. No matter how good we think we are, the standard is God's perfection. So how do we line up against that? On our best day, we are not even close to God's perfection. We need to realize that God tells us that he wants to have a relationship even before the rules are there. So we need to appreciate that God calls us to himself. God uh, points out our needs for a Savior. So as we look at the Ten Commandments and we see all the place that we have all failed, because I'm sure one of us has said uh, at least once during that time, oh, that's not me, I'm struggling there. Well, I've, I've committed that. So we have to look at the fact that Jesus has called us to himself, and he wants to be the one to save us through those things. We cannot be perfect. None of us are perfect. None of us deserve salvation. But there is one person Jesus that died for our salvation. Sin has separated us from God. The Bible says that we are born dead in our trespasses and sin. But when we come to Christ, he gives us his perfect account. So that's where, so when, when, we, look at, when we look at the Ten Commandments, what it should do is cause us to realize that we need to come to Christ. Because the only way that we can be saved is through him. We can never be good enough to earn salvation. And we can only, it can only be through Christ. First John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I remember somebody asking me one day, how do I know that I'm saved? And I asked him, I said, is your deepest desire to do the will of God? 
And they said, yeah, even though I struggled to do it, that's what I want to do. And I think that's one of the, that's one of the earmarks of salvation. The fact that we wanted, and you know, in the beginning, there's a, there's a struggle because we have a whole way of, of living that was contrary, and now we're learning a new way of life, and we're dying to ourselves to live for Christ. But that when we have a desire to do the will of God, that shows us that, 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 that God is working in our lives. What happens is, but if, if we don't have a desire to do the will of God, then we need to ch- test ourselves and see whether we have really given our life to Christ. And one thing that I do want to leave you guys is that we have the power through Christ to overcome sin. We do. Second Peter 1-2 says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Amen. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and, gr- and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful designer, uh, desire. We know that when we give our life to Christ, the Spirit of God is born in us and empowers us to live out his word, empowers us to, to live our lives according to his ways. There, there is forgiveness through Christ. We're talking about all this sin and might be a little dark and, and heavy. There is forgiveness through Christ. And the thing is, the, since we see that our sin falls through the commandments, what that needs to do is to make us to run to the foot of the cross. There is true life through Christ. When we live lives of sin, no, there is no person that doesn't have Christ that is truly satisfied with their life. I can say that with all the conviction in the world because only through Christ do we understand life. Only through Christ do we have life. And I said before, like, there is power to over- overcome those things and to be able to live according to God's ways. And we don't do this to come in order to reach out to God. God has already reached out to us and made us his people. Now we live this as our worship to God. Because we are his, we live this as a response to his love and his greatness and seeing how, who he is. Now, out of, out of appreciation and love for him saving us from our sin and the fact that we are born to spend eternity separated from him, but now he has made us alive and called us to him. Now, our response is to live lives of worship according to his ways. Right? So I pray that we may, are, we may be encouraged to run towards God and not away from him.